Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the British Grand Prix and ask if Valtteri Bottas really was so unlucky. Build-up to the British Grand Prix, the big news was that the race has been saved and has a new deal until 2024. And then the race showed us why that's so important. Great British Grand Prix, won of course by Lewis Hamilton with some fantastic battles amid the top six drivers. I'm your host, Ed Stewart, and joining me to look back on the British Grand Prix. First is Jake Boxer-Leg returning to the podcast after a brief hiatus. A rare podcast appearance with a cap on. Yeah, I'm doing it again. We had this conversation in Barcelona and considering we're recording this in the office quite late and Kev Kevin Turner, our esteemed magazine editor, isn't here to tell me not to wear a cap in the office, I am again wearing a cap in the office. It's good it's a good thing to do. You should be careful though, because it is a press day for the magazine tomorrow and Kev does turn up quite early. So even at even at half eleven at night there's a chance we might run into his morning. I think we'll be all right. Uh, hopefully we don't cross paths. And if we do, well, you know, what is he going to do? <laughs> and also joining me is Scott Mitchell, who's in a much jauntier mood than he was after Austria. We've just driven down from Silverstone. He was on the he was on the, the, the playlist for our, for our music and he's, he's had some food and his arms are working. So he's happy. Yep. Everything is brilliant. I like how you get a uh, subtle reference to my arms into there. For those of you that weren't aware of my um, bizarre arm-related problem over the majority of the British Grand Prix week. I managed to uh, colossally overdo it on my first trip to the gym in about 15 months, and uh, upon awakening on Thursday morning, I was completely unable to move my arm. <laughs> my arms, I had like, I've had, what, five, maybe ten degrees of movement. It was... <laughs> the most it was the most ridiculous three days in the f1 paddock i think i've ever had i was just desperately every time i asked a question in a media session i was just i had to like i was like flexing my arm to stretch it out so i could hold the microphone up to my mouth it was an absolute joke but i'm i'm here i'm obviously as you can tell in a much better mood I'm, I, I don't feel anywhere near as bad as i did in austria 
lovely to be back in in Britain. Quite not quite enjoying the um, the luxury. I don't know about you two of uh, just two hours drive, if that, away from the circuit, and we're back in the office, like in familiar surroundings. Not for once, not doing this podcast in a, a ropey Airbnb or in a farm in the middle of Austria or something like that. It does make a little bit of a difference. I do like the way when you explain the arms thing, you said for those of you not aware, as if this had been a major news story that a few people may have missed. Yes, told just about everybody well, over the weekend. The reason for that is because when I uh, when I bumped into FIA Formula One media delegate Tom Wood uh, leaving the circuit yesterday, he said, "How are your arms?" And I was like, "Well, I've not spoken to you, so the news has filtered out." It's amazing it got so far, really, because you didn't talk about it very much. I only told the people around me that were laughing at me because I couldn't scratch my nose or move my glasses. You told them constantly? Yes, because they were laughing at me for scratching my nose and moving my glasses. In fairness, because it was funny. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to uh, to be to be normal and not attention-seeking on this podcast, I promise. <laughs> That's a very, very we, good I think thing. we've missed that boat, haven't we? Too, too late. Will you just answer the questions? And I should add that Scott Mitch is also dressed like a deck chair, which just to add to the add to the visuals. I'm coming in for a lot of stick in this podcast already, and we've not even started talking about the stuff that I normally get stick for. Well, there we go. So let, let's get on with it. Well, of course, Lewis Hamilton won the race, his sixth British Grand Prix victory. That sets a, a new record. Uh, he pulls away from uh, from Jim Clark. Uh, I think it's Alan Prost was the was the other one. I'm going to be in trouble if that if my memory's let me down on on that yeah, one. The but, internet won't forgive you for that. Well, ex- exactly. Yes, exactly. Well, Lewis, yeah, Lewis Hamilton won the race. Now it was a it was a fascinating battle at the front because obviously Lewis Hamilton was struggling a little bit in in qualifying. Missed out on pole by six thousandths. Bottas didn't improve on his last lap, but Hamilton was able to get. Uh, Really, really close to the mighty last sector. So we had this this great setup with Valtteri Bottas on pole and Lewis Hamilton uh, second on the grid. And Bottas, when when he held the lead at the start, we thought, well, that's 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 him settled in for the first stint. But it it, it was a pretty dramatic opening, wasn't it, Scott? Yeah, we. It's like Silverstone's one of those tracks where pole position is certainly not half the job done, is it? But then once he held the lead at the start, kind of thinking, oh, he's. He's getting there. He's he's ticking every box so far. But the key thing was he he, he couldn't break away, could he, in the opening stint? And he, Lewis was 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 going with him, and it, it was awesome. We I think we got um, sort of twenty percent of the way through the race, and, and Valtteri and Lewis were still dicing with each other. Valtteri going defensive, Lewis sort of looking this way and that, and it was a mega moment where we thought Lewis had. Lewis had got ahead. Well, he had, and it, yeah, he had got ahead, and then and Valtteri just about managed to hold on, and it was it was it was proper racing. It was it was it was it was fairly elbows out, but with that sort of measure of respect and a little bit of reservedness that comes when you it's two teammates racing one another, two teammates that actually have respect for each other and, and haven't fallen out massively, which is something obviously we've seen before with Mercedes battling. Exactly. Well, it was it was lap four, that great move when Bottas defended into Brooklyn's Hamilton took the wide line, he sort of tried to cut he well, well he did cut back and he was able just to sort of slide the car across the front into Luffy and we thought oh, Hamilton's got him but Bottas yeah came back and made the move got up the inside uh, into Cops that's, Ham- not, that's not an easy move Cops because no, 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 no. normally, normally you see the car on the outside stick it out through Cops just because of the, the angle of the corner the sheer momentum the fact that they've got so much downforce these cars you can do that offline I, I thought when Bottas got alongside there I, I was certain he would back out of it I think Hamilton was was willing to be more cooperative. They, they were both being sensible, and uh, yeah, great comeback from uh, from Bottas to, to retake the lead. And it's, it's very rare we actually see something like that. Normally, it's it's kind of just happens the pass and then it's done. But this was a really good bit of passing and repassing, a bit like we had briefly with Leclerc and Verstappen in in Austria. But it's great, wasn't it, JBL? We had uh, you know the, the crowd were enjoying. It was a little bit of a shame we saw the crowd in the middle of the battle in the uh, in the, <laughs> the live television coverage, which was un- unfortunate. But that that was a scintillating start, wasn't it? Yeah, and definitely, and I think it's the nature of the circuit as well. It undulates quite a lot. You have a lot of opportunities to switch back, get in underneath the tracks reasonably wide as well. So Silverstone has a lot to offer. Uh, and as you said at the at the top, this kind of shows why Silverstone is so in demand to be back on the calendar, not just because all of the British teams are within about half an hour of the circuit, but because it delivers these races. Um especially since the the circuit was remodelled as well. It's just added, I don't know, two or three more places where you can 
go at somebody and they'll come back at you like at the loop for example or the run now to brooklands from the wellington straight so it yeah it was an absolutely fantastic battle it just has that mega mix silverstone of the the corners that sort of set up uh set up good racing sort of uh that that first complex which I, i i I understand why some people don't like it because sometimes stop-start corners aren't really particularly appealing to people. But when you've got that long run from the last corner, turns one and two a flat or basically flat, depending, I guess, on fuel loads and how bad your car is. Um, But then you've got a really big stop into turn three. Um, Turn three, is that Abbey now? Is that Abbey? Uh, turn three is village, isn't it? Oh, turn three is village. Abbey's turn one, of course. Yeah, Abbey's turn one, and then the king, then so, yeah, village, the village, and then the turn loop. three is the, the, so the tight right. The tight right hander. That's good because we saw uh, plenty of plenty of people using that. The, the run that you get through one and two, and being able to dive on the brakes there. But if not, you can set set them up into 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 three and four, and then get a really really good run down the the Wellington straight uh, overtaken to Brooklands. But as well as having those corners and that circuit layout that lends itself to good racing you've also got brilliant brilliant corners like i i I love i love that that sequence of brooklyn's into luffield i think that left-hander at brooklyn's is really really challenging and you've got the fast sweep of cops and obviously maggots beckett's and into chapel is is one of the most spectacular sequence of corners on the f1 calendar so it just it i don't want to sound jingoistic but i think silverstone has absolutely everything from a driver's point of view and it gives something back to the fans as as well and it's like what we said after the race at the red bull ring in austria like it's not a coincidence that we keep having good races there no very very much so essentially it's staying on the calendar uh let's check because obviously there's a lot going on but if we really focus on the two mercedes drivers initially and, and how the race worked for them obviously there was a strategic divergence, which is quite unusual, actually. We had Valtteri Bottas stopped on, I think it was lap 16. He'd started on mediums and he st- went on to a second set of mediums because he had a set of new mediums, so that committed him to a two-stopper from that point. Lewis Hamilton extended his stint and he was able to to do a, a one-stopper going medium-hard. Obviously, this it was unusual because it, they do tend to try and keep the same uh, the same strategy. So the real question is... What would have happened if we didn't have the safety car that came in that was caused by Antonio Giovinazzi? He locked the rears, spun into the gravel on the way into to the, the club complex. Uh, the team did say it was a mechanical problem of some sort, so whether it was a break-by-wire issue or something that led to him doing it as the rears locked, that seems uh, seems fine. I hope it wasn't connected to his appearance on the Autosport Live podcast, which uh, is the last one in this feed. I hope we didn't, uh, we didn't jinx him. But at that stage, Bottas had made his stop. He was inching up on Hamilton not that not actually that quick he was about four tenths a lap for, for a couple of laps so at this stage we were looking at a situation where Hamilton on the one stop would have made his stop and dropped behind Bottas but Bottas would still have had another stop to to make so it would all come down to whether Bottas could have closed up on with fresh tyres near the end which was I think pretty much a long shot as it happened the safety car neutralised everything pretty much Bottas had to stay out had he pitted to make a second stop to go on to say hards he'd have fallen behind Vettel who'd extended his stint as well and was going to stop and he'd only been out for a few laps anyway on that that this second set anyway so it's this question of one versus two stop and did this cost Bottas the race well I think if if we hadn't had that safety car the, the curious thing for me is whether Hamilton's one stop would have suddenly become a lot more controversial because Bottas claimed after the race that it wasn't really wasn't really on 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 the radar it was out of the question and yet it it turned out to be obviously Lewis was able to execute it really effectively and Bottas realized afterwards we made a mistake that was the quickest way of doing the race so Hamilton there was this there was this conversation within Mercedes in the morning assessing all the different strategic options and giving the opportunity for one of the drivers to have an offset strategy the guy chasing I believe is what they said would be able to do something different and and you sort of you didn't make Toto squirm but when you put this to to Toto Wolf the team principal afterwards he was very he was very honest wasn't he he was very much like a it wasn't that you'd called him out on it but well, it was I, I said why did you do this thing that you've historically not done and he did say it was a very good question and that there were arguments and you could see him thinking the mechanisms through as he as he answered the question and that that to me is what's interesting because Bottas obviously didn't think it was a didn't think that 
whatever the offset strategy was going to be would be a one stop. So the fact well, that he, he knew it, he knew that a one stop, if you could extend the because they'd, they'd all discussed the fact that if you could extend the one the first stint, you could make a one stop work. But Bottas didn't think it was possible to do that. And Bottas thought if you went then onto the hards, which obviously Hamilton was doing. And extending his first Which Bottas in knew nothing about. That's why Bottas was really wary of going onto the hards. Yeah, Bottas thought that going onto the hards would just proceed going onto the mediums for the end of the race with the, the second stop. So by this, but by this point, Hamilton's already thinking. Actually, tyres feel pretty good. I can eke this out, and then we'll go to the hards and see what we can do from there. It's it, it's a, it's a curious one, but I think. And, and yeah, Hamilton got lucky with the safety car, but by extension, if you're willing to sort of roll that dice almost, if you're able to eke out the first stint, the way I see it is you're you're rewarded. It's, it's slightly different if you're if you're doing what Bottas did in Baku in 2018, when you're sort of tugging really to nowhere, and you're you're quite a long way off a bit like Vettel did really in the opening stint you're not really doing anything but your pace is good enough to loosely keep you in contention but you're sort of fading but you're not a million miles away but you're not taking life out the tyres so you can just run longer and then fate throws a safety car you make your pit stop and you jump from well said jump from the back of it into the into podium contention whereas with with Hamilton he was still there or thereabouts wasn't he and he was the one who made it work he could have gone with a conventional strategy and the result would have been locked in but he tried to do something different and in this in this instance i don't know if it was a particularly brave strategy maybe it was because people didn't really know how the hard would hold up or perform but it let's say it was a brave strategy and in this instance fortune favored the brave yeah to an extent i mean ultimately obviously they both sat in the same briefings they there was discussion about this about this one stop as, as an option and Lewis basically committed to it straight away. I don't think Bottas could have made the one stop work. He's harder on the tyres. It was the front left that was uh, that was a limiting factor here. His first stop after 16 laps, that's that the, the fronts on the on, on that medium set, they were basically close to having nothing left. So because it was it was where that was the problem rather than Deg. So I don't think Bottas could have necessarily I think it's pretty unlikely he could have made the one stop of work and remember Hamilton was still hassling him in that first stint trying to look after his tyres whereas Bottas was thinking he could spend it so what does that say I mean we saw this this pace advantage Hamilton had throughout throughout the race so I think all the, all these different ways that Bottas could have won had he done a one stopper well yeah he had track position admittedly under a hell of a lot of pressure from Hamilton so even if he could have done a one stopper would he have kept Hamilton behind throughout he had to that point but that's a big question and then you have the question of if the safety car hadn't happened well he'd have been he'd have, he'd have been too far behind because he hadn't closed up massively on Hamilton once he made a stop like I said it was it was four tenths a lap over the two complete laps and as Hamilton said well I wasn't too worried about that he should have been closing quicker but he wasn't so they'd have made they'd have made the, the Hamilton would have made the stops and dropped back so what the safety car did do was cost Bottas the lead, retaking the lead at that point unfortunate but I just don't think there was a way for Bottas actually to to win this race, even if he'd tried to go for the one stopper, which was an option. He could, he could have tried to eke out that stint, even if the safety car hadn't happened. I I, I just don't. I, I just think Hamilton's race pace was so good, and the tire management was good that there, there was no way to win it. It's not the first time this year that we've seen Bottas do everything right sort of in terms of the the short-term stuff but then actually once it once it comes down to the race distance the that performance just gets away from him doesn't it you you pointed out it's that time management you know Hamilton's known for being super super quick and and a, and a great racing driver but he's also he's so good on the tires it's a it's a real it's a, it's a really really valuable art that he's learned and I think he's sort of it's a bit understated actually his ability to manage the tires properly yeah very much so he's he he, he put a lot of work into that and he's, he's extremely strong on it and Bottas had in fact admitted that the tyre management this weekend well just in general he admitted this weekend that it's that it's a, a challenge for him and he talked about the setups but driving style plays a part as well what do you think JBL do you see any way for have you got sympathy for Bottas in this case uh, I have a little bit of sympathy um, especially yeah as, as if, if you've already said um, there does seem to be that differential in how much tyre they can manage um, at times, Bottas is good and he's he can be imperious when you know when he can be, but it's times like this where you kind of look at 
the the difference between the two. I mean, at the end of the race, Hamilton on his hard tires had enough left to go and set the fastest lap of the race, and Bottas had gone and put a set of softs on. Uh, he had basically a free pit stop, so he went to go and chase the fastest lap. Hamilton's like, actually, I've still got a load of performance left here, um, which is which is amazing, even more so considering that nobody at any point during the weekend really gave the hard tyres an actual run out in practice at any point. They usually, I think most of them only brought one or two sets. Yeah, it was and, very much into the unknown. Yeah. yeah, and saved them for the race. And it was amazing that he could go out, do that, keep them in the game for so long. And then it just emerged that he had so much more performance. So, and that was lap 32 of those tyres he did it on. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Um, the, the one, the one caveat is that Bottas, he said that their their uh, their strategy wasn't perfect in that period, so he d- he didn't actually have maximum electrical uh, energy to deploy on 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 that. So he could have had a little bit more, but even so, given the tire situation and everything, that that doesn't kind of make up for it. Hamilton was thirty seven thousandths quicker, and I, I don't think Bottas would have had when he well, Bottas would have heard that Hamilton had done it. Uh, I imagine he'd have been absolutely blindsided. Well, it removed that little consolation that we thought Bottas had got. You know, he, has he lost victory? Has has a safety car cost him victory? Obviously, he thought so. Obviously, we're less, slightly less convinced. But you know, if you're going to lose s- seven points to your title rival, fastest lap bonus points, six points lost. You know, every every point can matter at the end at the end of the season. So would have been a little a, a sliver of a silver lining for, for Bottas and then it almost added insult to injury, didn't it, in terms of his title title challenge because instead of losing losing six points to Hamilton, suddenly lost eight. Yeah, very much so. I think that will uh, just have been that little extra, extra blow. But I think, yeah, I just can't see the pathway for Bottas to, to have done this. You know, that he wasn't stopped from being able to try a one-stop. I mean, Toto Wolff said that whoever was second had the chance to try this alternative, but it, well, I don't think it, was, it wasn't quite that simple. Uh, it was all... It, the whole key to this race, because people were dubious about whether it would be a one-stop or a two-stop, was extending the first stint. That was absolutely critical. And even though Bottas went a reasonable way on his second set of mediums, I don't think... I, I just don't think he would have been able to <clears throat> to do it on his on that, on that first set. So... Uh, it's not to criticise Bottas particularly. He had actually had drove a very good race, but it's just Hamilton was particularly mighty. Actually, Hamilton was struggling a little bit more on uh, uh, in practice and in qualifying on a single out, quite a, a bit of track action with Gary Anderson down at Brooklands, and Hamilton was consistently struggling there. He was often carrying too much speed in. The rear instability was catching him out, etc. So it, Hamilton wasn't, wasn't perfect from that regard, but on race day, really really fantastic so i think thoroughly deserved his 80th his 80th win and i think on the surface it looked like a fortune had played a part but actually i think it was ultimately it was it was performance we should note that he was called in well they tried to call him in a couple of times late on one was because they thought well let's not take a risk we've got the pit stop window bottas has to stop anyway and hamilton overruled that and then hamilton reported a blister on the front left and they thought, oh, actually, yeah, I better come in then. And then they thought, oh, no, Bottas is starting to come back because obviously Bottas had the undercut. They thought, no, we better not do this. As it happened, it, it, it's, uh, there was a little bit of damage to side, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a blister, but they were able to leave him out. So that just created a last little drama. We should talk about the battle behind, which uh, there were four cars in it. So we had these these twin Ferrari versus Red Bull battles early on. With uh, We had Leclerc leading Verstappen and then Gasly... Um, chasing Vettel in the in the early stages, uh, not all of them. Well, no, they didn't make it quite to the finish in the, in that in that position. Now we saw the we saw the Red Bulls coming on strong in that stint. Verstappen was able to um, was really able to threaten Leclerc, and we saw Gasly did actually get past Vettel uh, for fourth just before just before uh, his pit stop. And then we saw this great battle with Verstappen and Leclerc, which started in that pit stop with them side by side in the pit. And that the, whole, the Verstappen Leclerc battle sort of rolled over from from Austria. It was great, wasn't it? Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, again, these two are just really lighting things up at the moment. They're the bright young talents, uh, our hope for the future. And if this is what we've got to look forward to, when those two are the the central stars of Formula One, then it's going to be fantastic, isn't it? 
Scott stifling a yawn there. I thought you were about to weigh in with something and tell he's, me that I'm way about, off the mark. He's definitely about to deliver wisdom, I can see. Yeah, or I'm just assuming I'm boring him massively right now. <laughs> Max said after the race that he felt that uh, Leclerc was a little sore still from, from Austria. Obviously, the controversial end to that Grand Prix where Max caught and uh, passed Charles in quite robust fashion. Bump wheels, Leclerc off the track, lengthy post-race investigation, but Verstappen kept the win. Ferrari and Leclerc were really unhappy about that. But what I thought was cool was that Leclerc was true to his word uh, that he spoke on Thursday before this weekend's Grand Prix. He said, right, okay, I'm happy to race like Max raced in Austria. I didn't think we could. The stewards have said, that's fair game, and that's what I want. I'm, I'm, so I'm going to race a bit more aggressively. Properly got his elbows out. That was a mega fight. At one of One of the best bits of racing... I've seen in the 18 months or so that I've covered Formula One and, and up there with the best sort of battle that I can can remember enjoying for, for, for years and years. Yeah, very much so. The, the great bit obviously was when Leclerc was able to, Verstappen defended into the into the entry to club, the left-hander, which is often called Vale, but it isn't. It's left-hander. That meant Vettel had, uh, Leclerc rather, had the inside line for, for the right-hander of club proper. He ran Verstappen out to the well little beyond bit, the edge. Tiny of the, little bit of wheel to wheel contact yeah, yeah, again, yeah, yeah. and and Verstappen was able to then, after briefly losing the position, get back past a bit of an investigate, a bit of a look at it. But it's like no, no, uh, no action required, and that that is absolutely right. And I think Leclerc, I don't think the, I don't think he was especially. He might have been sore from Austria, but I think what he did there was deploying what he knew was was uh, possible. The one that was a little bit. Uh, maybe a little bit more concerning was the one into Stowe when he made the very late move on the straight while Verstappen was barrelling up, yes. up on the approach to the corner. We were on board, the the footage, the TV coverage was live on board with that with Verstappen, wasn't it? And that, I must admit there was a point where we thought, oh, is he going to get launched? So that, I think we have to, I mean, that I don't, I see why Leclerc did that. I think it was and, just and on I, the limit of what's acceptable. Yeah, just have to be really careful with, with those because that to me is different to the, because as soon as you start doing stuff on straights, it's a little bit different to, to corners. But I, I was pleased that, again, I was taken, but it's like, let's not go beyond that. That's He was a little bit too late for that. Yeah, and especially in that part of the track, high speed that they're going to reach, DRS deployed. Because that's about as that's about as not in control on, in a straight line as you can possibly be in a Formula 1 car. So it was, it was a little bit risky, definitely on the limit. Same as when we thought that there was a chance that Verstappen would get penalised for keeping that place after that little bit of wheel-to-wheel contact that shoved him wide. But the the, the brilliant thing is, is that I I, I think what's happened is the uh, the stewards, despite the criticism that they've got at times, the stewards don't want racing to be boring and rubbish. But the problem is, is that they're there to interpret rules, and and it, and if there's a clear breach, their hands are tied by the rule book. But if they have an opportunity to what we would call I guess generously a get out of jail free card if they've got a quite a handy oh don't have to do anything here they'll, they'll deploy it and I think what they did today was the small bit of contact and the fact that Leclerc then moved to the edge of the track I think they basically determined that well Max didn't just keep his car there and cause an accident there was a little bit that forced him wide so he moved moved wide he has the disadvantage because he goes around the corner oh yeah okay fine he keeps his foot in so obviously he doesn't lose out that much rejoins the track doesn't hit Leclerc so it's not an unsafe rejoining so you could argue he's gone off track and gained an advantage but the steward I'm pretty sure the race director Michael Mazzi has looked at that and if the stewards had properly investigated they'd have looked at that and gone actually well mitigating circumstances six to one half a dozen to the other let, let them get on with it this is what the drivers have been calling for over the last few weeks and i and i think what happened in austria i think was a was a because we talked about this a lot about redefining precedent and, and and setting new precedents and given the opportunity for the drivers to to race that little bit harder i think that's exactly what happened today and i'm i don't think it's a coincidence that after what's after the last few races where incidents and Hard racing's been in the spotlight. I, th- I think we're moving towards something now. Yeah, that, that's why I kept saying after Austria that I felt that Stewart's decision was more than just a, a localized thing. It did represent a little bit of a, a little bit of a shifted interpretation, which I think is really positive. And it was just it was great, wasn't it? And you know, everyone enjoyed it. Even the drivers. Yeah, the drivers enjoyed it. I absolutely is... loved it. Leclerc said it's the most fun he's had since he joined F1. And Max, you know, was like. 
obviously Max was massively frustrated because of what I'm sure we're uh, we're going to be getting on to shortly. How, however, mega this was uh, a, an example of two brilliant racing drivers battling each other hard but fairly. What happened after that to Verstappen was completely the opposite. But up until that point, I think Max and 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 Charles were both having a, a brilliant time. And as JBL said, uh, it's a stunning sign for what F1 can expect for the next what. Baker's dozen years, something like that. Yeah, I mean they're what both twenty years old. Twenty twenty one. That can't say. Yeah, that's you know another decade, maybe a bit longer than that if they can stay in top teams uh, and if Formula One's still going by then as well. Yeah, I mean the the the, the future's very very clearly there, isn't it? So we've alluded to the to the the Vettel uh, Verstappen battle that's uh, in, interrupted that obviously Vettel extended his first and even though he started on a soft he managed to extend his first and he also stopped under the safety car so that that got him up to to third place behind the two two Mercedes drivers but it, obviously because that that group they took the the restart after the safety car in, in the order of Vettel Gasly Verstappen Leclerc which was a bit of a mix around Leclerc had been un, unfortunate and shuffled from third to to sixth as a result of that so Vettel was was there and once Verstappen had, had finished battling with Leclerc he could start closing on uh, on Vettel which he did do past Vettel into Stowe and then runs a bit wide at the exit and then boom Vettel, yeah Vettel has a has a run on him and uh drop kicks a Red Bull I think it's the I think of all of the mistakes Seb's made especially and he's made a few over the last year or so that was the worst that was a that's a bit of a rookie error isn't it misjudging misjudging the car in front's behavior Maybe misjudging the loss of downforce you'd have in that that close behind, and careering into the back of someone like that—that's oh, that's such poor form for a four-time world champion. It's it's a, a huge error. I mean, you could see he was trying to find a way up the inside, and I think he thought even though Verstappen was defending, there might be a gap there. There wasn't, and at the point where he locked up and then went into the back of him, he was sort of trying to break a bit. Well, he's trying to. <laughs> break isn't the right word to use that but to sort of switch back across to the right it was way too late even misjudged the turbulent air obviously had the lock up it wasn't in any way deliberate quite clearly you wouldn't do that deliberately but yeah another blunder major misjudgment in battle and I saw that it's obviously been likened to the Ricardo Verstappen crash at Baku in Baku last year but the two key differences for me the first is that with the Ricardo Verstappen clash in Azerbaijan Max was very leery in that battle the whole time and he was constantly sort of moving around and he was never really consistent with sort of where he was holding his position I thought he was a little bit naughty and the second thing is that Ricardo tried to sell him a dummy thought he'd opened the door went for it realized too late that the door had closed and then tried to back out where comparing it to the Vettel incident which is why I think you need to cut Vettel much less slack because I think the Red Bull one last year sort of ended up being tied, like chalked up as a bit of a racing incident because they were both being idiots. On this occasion, Max is pretty much glued to, not to the inside of the corner. He's got maybe what left, what, half a car width. So Max hasn't changed, he hasn't deviated from his course into the corner. And second, he's only left half a car width. There was never a gap there. It was At no point was that move on for Vettel. And it was just... It was just really flawed. Yeah, he sent himself down a cul-de-sac, unfortunately. Uh, as it happened, it was more costly for him. Obviously, he crunched the front wing, crawled around, made his pit stop, got the new front wing on. He also had a 10-second penalty for causing a, a, a collision, as he was very clearly wholly to blame uh, for that one. And so that meant that Vettel wasn't uh, in contention for points, so he actually finished down in 16th place once the penalty had, had, had been uh, applied behind uh, Robert, Robert Kubitz. of so Verstappen, obviously, Leclerc and Gasly were able to move up to third and fourth. In a way, that was poetic justice for Leclerc, who was third, he qualified third, he was running third, he was very third in that race, which is the best a, a Ferrari could do. Another good result for him. Uh, Verstappen, the car was functional, but it was a bit damaged, so obviously it took a big hit. It wasn't broken, but it, there were bits missing, and obviously the performance was, was dropped, so he, he ended up finishing fifth behind uh, teammate Pierre Gasly. I'd like to throw to JBL at this point for a technical anal- technical analysis of that damaged Red Bull because if you see a car thrown up into the air the way that was over the kerb after Vettel lunged him, that's one thing. 
then it comes down with pretty considerable force and then it ends up in the middle of the the gravel trap three different things that normally would either cause pretty big damage and i know that red bull and and honda both thought both parties thought that that was max's race done they were pretty amazed that he was able to go to the flag but i don't know if you if you took a good look at sort of the damage that was actually done to max's car but christian horner was saying it was quite remarkable he got he actually got to the finish i didn't see a whole lot from Verstappen's car damage wise but when you're involved in an incident like that how many people escape an incident like that that's oh when that had happened I thought that was both of them out of the race and I was very very surprised to see both of them crawl out of the gravel shake themselves off carry on drop a quick radio message say oh is everything okay yeah Max it's all good obviously Vettel had to come in change his front wing um, and you know, he was trundling around the field, not doing a whole lot. But for Verstappen's car to be, you know, a little bit damaged, um, still with an incident where you've got a car going up your rear end, you expect some kind of damage to the gearbox or to your rear suspension or to your diffuser or something, and him to be generally fine and on for a fifth place. That's, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. I think the diffuser did take a massive pounding and the, the, there was some damage to the floor as well. Um, but yeah, Max was told fairly quickly, wasn't he, by his engineer, that the uh, reliability-wise, everything was suspension was fine. Uh, there wasn't any issue with the with the gearbox. Honda was worried about the engine because obviously the the force that must go through the car is pretty considerable when you have that big an impact um, on two fronts because you've got the you've got the initial impact from behind from Vettel because that was obviously massive. But then when it goes up over the curb and then slams back down, that's pretty big in itself. So testament to the strength of the uh, the modern Vettel proof Red Bull that uh, <laughs> you take a big as big a hit as that and then get told within a lap yeah mate crack on just yeah well we should say that like uh, there was a little bit of a performance loss but it wasn't massive the last full lap before the incident he did a 129.277 and then the first flying lap after the incident obviously which compromised two laps because when he dug himself out of the gravel he wasn't carrying the, the speed onto the straight he did a he did a 129.951 so yeah, there's a there's a step back there, but not not mo- not monstrous, and uh, yeah, testament to the to the the strength of the car. So yeah, Verstappen, it's a little bit of a shame in a way because I think with uh, with an even shot with track position and everything, the the Red Bull's quick on race pace. I, I still think the Mercedes was was quicker, but I think the Red Bull could have been a little bit closer to uh, to Mercedes than the, than the Ferraris were able to be on race pace. I think Max would have kept Bottas behind him. I think because Max would have inherited second, wouldn't he, when Bottas made the second stop? Uh, yes, yeah. I'll have to say I that. don't think Bottas would have got back past him. Very possibly not. We know. Well, the reason I say that is because, as you point out, Max and the Red Bull's race pace is really good. We saw what Hamilton was able to actually unleash pace-wise with his aged tyres at the end of his stint. So presumably, Max would have had more performance in his locker unless he'd used up so much attacking and passing Vettel. But I, we we also know what Verstappen and Bottas are like in battle, and in wheel to wheel combat, when there's a second place on the line, Ed, uh, who's your money on? In yeah, very much so. Is it Verstappen or is it Bottas? And also, um, Verstappen was about nine seconds behind Bottas at the time that incident happened, so he wasn't. No, that that's that's not even quite half a pit stop window. So, yeah, there's yeah there's there's every chance that that would happen. That was what was going to cause serious problems for Bottas's race. Obviously, that he was going to uh, going to lose positions. And he was going to slip behind Vettel, and uh, well, in fact, he was going to slip behind everyone at that at that point. Because if you look at yeah lap thirty six, Gasly's there in sixth place. He's only seventeen point six seconds back, although he is losing time. So, it would have been interesting to see if they basically just decided to keep Bottas out. If they just said, "Look, just go for the one stop at this stage," they couldn't because he was on mediums, wasn't he? Oh, of so course, they, they he was. To, yeah, that, that was the thing. So they, yeah, he was just that, locked into yeah, a. He he was locked into the to the two to the two stopper. Yeah, from I th- that, I, from I that the 16. more I think about it, the more I think that that Vettel clash cost Verstappen the second place. It certainly cost him at least third. Yeah, I think it cost him second. I think that's very very uh, very possible because Bottas would have made have to make up quite a significant amount of uh, amount of time after the after the stop. Um, we should talk a little bit about Pierre Gasly who went into the weekend under a lot of pressure fourth place that's his best finish for Red Bull and it equals his best Formula One finish which was that amazing fourth place for Toro Rosso uh, 
in Bahrain last year. Now, it feels a long time ago now. It is a long time ago, yeah, it is a long time. Now, Gasly, I say huge pressure. He's on basically, as of Austria, he was on Verstappen setups. He can only deviate a tiny bit because there was a feeling that he was doing too much experimentation. He was, he was spending huge amounts of time going over data and going off in this direction and that and finessing the car for one corner and losing another corner and then tackling it to cure that corner and losing another one so he'd lost he'd lost the global picture of the compromise etc so for Red Bull the key with Gazi is simplify think you're a quick driver simplify focus on your driving that's what they tried to do at Silverstone now he started well with fastest in FP1 uh, which is a good confidence boost he wasn't as quick as Verstappen so he's what three tenths off in qualifying but crucially he was ahead of the midfield he was a respectable distance from Verstappen and I think this is kind of that zero point weekend that he that he needed so he's got a fourth place he's actually at the races doing what they need him to do well he probably probably mixed it didn't he in with that yeah, group past you know, mugged, mugged Vettel that was that was really good to see I think actually one of our uh, colleagues might have uh, joked at the time that the Vettel was struggling so much that even Pierre Gasly had overtaken him but I, well that was that was a, a joke and if you know if you if you thought of that seriously, you're doing Gasly a disservice because I thought he drove his most impressive all-round Grand Prix weekend performance. I know you think that in terms of su- pace on Sundays, Azerbaijan was more impressive. Yeah, and Saturday pace was good, but but, but, but he did also start that weekend by uh, missing the Weybridge on Friday and condemning himself. Exactly. So, so I think this. I'd say that was the weekend Gasly got three different. Back of yeah, the grid yeah, penalties, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, the Weybridge one was the first one when they warned him to. <laughs> no, three different start from the pit lane penalties. Something like that, yeah. Some, yeah. Basically, it, put him to the back, to the back or the start the pit lane. You know, so it, but yeah, this this was just a nice even weekend. I think it's what he needed because it gives him that foundation, doesn't it? That little bit of that little bit of confidence, and you get into those sorts of spirals when things are going wrong. And at least that's leveled it off now, and he's got something to build from. And yeah, he. he Managed to avoid getting sucked into the midfield. Obviously, Norris uh, hit him at the at the first corner, uh, which Lando did admit was sort of his error. Small lockup. Yeah, exactly. And you know it happens, but it could have completely changed Gasly's race. Yeah, and, could, and then and it's 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 funny that little little things like that a, a season can turn on. A result like this can be the just the sort of thing shot in the arm that that Gasly needs to crack on and and start to build on this. You'd be be that point zero you talk about. If you've been wiped out at the start would have just been a continuation of this spiral of bad luck and not getting the results in. But just going back to what you said about the setup stuff, bring in JBL with his sort of engineering, take your cap off JBL, put your engineering hat on, with how complex a modern F1 car is and all the different things you can do to it. If you've got a driver, as Ed said, who's so lost in this maze of trying to get a car to work, it must be an engineer's worst nightmare in terms of trying to actually pinpoint what's wrong with the car and what they can do to fix it. Well, I've got a really bad metaphor for this. Uh, I will indulge it. But like, remember when you were like a kid and if you're in the supermarket with your mum or something and you couldn't find her and she's walking up the aisles to try and find you and you're walking up different aisles to try and find her, there is a good chance that you will never, you might not ever find her if you keep missing. It's a dark metaphor, but it, is it, makes, a dark it metaphor. makes sense. But Did you have a harrowing experience in the supermarket as a child? That's for another podcast for another day. Um, but... The thing is, he's chasing performance and he might end up down this sort of set up black hole for one certain track and he might sort of think, but X, Y and Z work for this track, why is it not working for this track? And then he goes to the next circuit and that requires a completely different setup. So he'll play with his camber and he'll play with his toe and he'll play with his various other setup parameters that the drivers can do. And... He's made all of these changes and still not working. So Red Bull have kind of taken, almost taken some of that power away from him and said, look, base setup is going to be the same as it is for Max, for you. You have these figures that you can play with, but this kind of, it sort of keeps him on a little bit of a leash. Basically, it's sort of like an armband for him just to sort of go, okay, you're not going to be able to stray too far away from this. Um... And if we think that it's not working for you, then we can sort of rein you back in, get you back on Max's setup, and we'll go a different way. It's a nice sort of like focal point for him, isn't it? And it just seems to have worked for him this weekend. Sort of like setup stabilizers. Once he's and once he's got used to it, and he can actually do it on his own, they'll take it off, and he can <laughs> go and uh, he can go and uh, take care of it himself. Yeah, that's the that's the idea, and, uh, and I think you know it's just simplify everything. 
he was already he was losing time just to being a little bit too aggressive, breaking a bit too late. He just needed to just calm the whole thing down. To return to the metaphor as well, it's basically the equivalent of going up to the cash desk in the supermarket saying, I've lost my mum. And they'll put a call out over the supermarket. I never got lost in the supermarket as a kid. You would think otherwise, wouldn't you? I think this is why I'm so terrified of the supermarket. (laughs) I don't know where this metaphor is going as such. And I'm sure that listeners at home are thinking, he must be some kind of delirious with tiredness. And they'd be right. I mean, it's probably midnight now. You're not allowed to complain about tiredness on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We'll open you up to a world of ridicule. Oh, I don't care. I'm ridiculous enough. <laughs> now, what else have we got? So we, we talked about the the top six there. Carlos Sainz got the, uh, as we call it, the sort of Class B, the best of the rest victory, holding off Daniel Ricciardo's Renault. Uh, now, obviously, this this part of the field, there was a lot of uh, sort of scrambling of it caused by the the timing of the, of the safety car. Sainz had a had a difficult qualifying. Even though the McLaren looked strong, he was down in thirteenth. He didn't really chase the setup correctly in uh in uh in through qualifying in terms of his front front wing level and that meant well Lando Norris was up there in Q three, science wasn't, but yeah, science managed to make the uh make the strategy strategy work well for him. He uh he made his stop, obviously free stop of well not quite free stop, but cheap stop we should say, under the safety car and that helps him to to get to the front of that head of Ricardo and obviously Norris went the went the other way and eventually made a, a second stop. But good for science that and McLaren that he came away with the result. This actually wasn't because of the qualifying problem his most convincing weekend. But, you know, again, there's a McLaren at the front of the midfield. I find myself, each with each passing race, just getting more and more impressed by the McLaren duo. I know you, you know, it wasn't the perfect weekend from Sainz, but there he is again, yeah. putting in a mega performance in the race. Lando was excellent in qualifying again. He felt he'd been stitched up, didn't he? With his strategy, well, was that, the, there was that bit of that was the radio outburst, wasn't there? Where he was the like, car ultimately. Yeah. "Yeah, he was just like, well, I've been screwed over by this because he was getting held up. We felt he was getting held up. Um, so obviously, it didn't quite work out the way he wanted it to in the race, but they are very impressive. And another race in which McLaren beats its engine supplier, which it's got the buzz around Woking. The, the 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 feeling in that place must be totally different to what it was sort of nine ten months ago." Yeah, very much so. No, they're now consistently uh, delivering. Um, still a little bit of work to be done in the lower speed corners, I reckon. But yeah, it's it, it's progressing very, very nicely. And the fact that both drivers are doing well out of it, you know, when when things go against one, the other one's always there. When nothing when nothing doesn't nothing goes against either of them, they're they're both there. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's extremely uh, strong performance. Now the Renault performance wasn't too bad. They they knocked back a little bit in terms of some of the upgrades, didn't they? JBL and the the car was very was very very uh, uh, slippery, so it was it was it was certainly not carrying much drag, and it was actually in some of the mini sectors towards the end of the straight, it was the fastest of all in in qualifying. Yeah, so um, in comparison to what they had in Austria, so they essentially made some of the wings a little bit shallower, just to try and grab a little bit more straight line performance because the Renault engine, contrary to popular belief, it's it's powerful. It's pretty good. Um, Renault themselves found themselves working very, very well in, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of straights around Silverstone and high-speed corners, so that's a key area of performance that you want. A lot of teams were trying to dial back the downforce a little bit, trying to trim a little bit off just to try and get that speed down, you know, hang a straight, Wellington straight, start finish straight, that, that straight after woodcut, whatever that's called. Um, yes, well, you call it start finish straight in the old days, wouldn't you? The old start but finish it, there's straight. There's no longer a start or a finish on it. Um, I've forgotten what I was talking about, but yeah, Ricardo was was on it, and he's it's another weekend where he's proved himself to be essentially Renault's de facto number one driver now. Um, he's surpassing Hulkenberg in pretty much in pretty much every race we go to. Um, very good battle with him in science as well. Uh, he said after the race that he thought he had best of the rest sewn up and then when the safety car came out that gave science essentially the free opportunity to pick because science hadn't done it yet and ricardo's like ah oh, well i'm going to lose the best of the rest spot yeah, now he said, he said as soon as he saw the car in the gravel he thought oh. yeah um which i'm sure we'll get onto in a bit but yeah um a good race from ricardo hulkenberg was probably lucky to get a point and there's a mixed bag, wasn't there? Because Hulkenberg, yeah, he he got the the held on to the tenth place. Uh, he was 
he obviously the, the one stopper. He struggled a bit. He lost about something like four and a half seconds to. He lost the airs briefly on the hangar straight. So there's a point. It did turn up in the live coverage actually when he was sort of cruising down the hangar straight. That cost him some time. So that changed his race a little bit. But I'd certainly agree that Ricardo has been leading the line for leading the line for Renault. And yeah, Renault could easily have have been uh, been best the rest there because actually Ricardo had jumped Norris in the first pit round of pit stops. So he he'd got uh, got to the front of that battle as it was uh, as it was anyway. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a good battle between McLaren and the uh, and the Renaults. And the Renaults, I think, uh, Kimi Raikkonen came eight. He won stopped as well. You know, it wasn't a it wasn't a stunning weekend for Alfa Romeo, but they were they were not they were not badly off. They were just outside Q three. Raikkonen made the one stop work really well. Actually, Giovinazzi was in his vicinity before before he he went off, and Raikkonen had to hold off Daniel Kvyat for uh, for eighth place uh, in the in the, in the closing stages. Obviously, Kvyat closing on on fresher. Rubber, having had a difficult weekend, actually, Kvyat, but managed to uh, salvage some uh, some points. And then, yeah, Helkenberg in 10th place. Norris ended up slipping to 11th in the end. He made a second stop because, obviously, he, he was planning to two-stop, but the safety car just uh, made that very, very awkward and helped some of the one-stoppers, or at least the one-stoppers, who could hold on. And now Alexander Alban Scott ended up 12th. Uh, there's a bit of a story to tell about him because he was on course uh, for points. He had a really strong weekend, and he was... He was running ninth uh, in the closing stages of the race, and then he he slipped back to twelfth. So he was ahead of Kvyat, Hulkenberg, and and Norris. But there was a good reason for that. Yeah, he wasn't allowed to take his second pit stop. Um, he should have been on the same strategy as the Renaults. He was, I believe, in running in between the two Renaults in the first stint. And as we've talked about, Ricardo went on to finish seventh, and and Hulkenberg was inside the top ten as well. So had he been on his on the strategy that he should have been on for the whole Grand Prix. Logic would dictate that he'd have ended up somewhere between 7th and 10th. So he would have scored points. As it was, he very nearly made his unplanned one-stop strategy work. But So so that's interesting in, in it itself. He did very well. But yeah, the, the reason he couldn't make that, that second pit stop or he didn't make that second pit stop is because Honda detected a high-voltage problem or concern within the engine and they didn't believe it was they didn't believe it was safe for him to stop the car and the mechanics to change the change the four tires and touch the car because of this high voltage concern basically the only way to make sure that the car wasn't live and and and, and was safe to touch would have been to to turn it off to, to switch off the ignition so it was the the comp, the, the question was okay well, what do we do do we bring him into the pits turn the car off wait a few seconds i guess to make sure that there's no problem change the wheels i don't even know how like yeah, presumably you'd fire it up on the mg uk and 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 crack on um but you'd lose a load of time if it even worked and even then maybe there's still a risk involved or do you just keep him out and just hope he holds on and they went with the second because You'll know much better than I, and and JB, JBL will as well from an engineering point of view. You can't take a risk when it becomes if the, if it's a voltage issue, not worth it. They're so stringent with the safety things because of for obvious reasons, no one wants to risk electrocution or any injury through through some kind of uh, through 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 some kind of voltage based problem. So and what we should say, remember that this is going back quite a long time when Kurz was first being tested prior to coming in. Uh, for the 2019 season, BMW Sauber had a problem. There's, there's photos of a mechanic in the pit lane getting a getting a fairly serious shock. So you know there there have been cases of this happening. That's going back a reasonable uh, a reasonable way now to uh, that. But this is this is serious stuff, and this is also why you sometimes see drivers when they stop if they haven't got the uh, the, the safe light on. You'll see them sort of jumping off the car so that they're not uh, in danger. So it's uh, yeah, it's I think it's good that they took that responsible careful action well the reason they did is because it's such an unusual thing to happen you know Toyoharu Tanabe the Honda F1 technical director he took over the role ahead of the 2018 season so he's been around for a year and a half on the F1 side and he said he's never seen that track he's never seen that track side well I I can't think this this sort of instance happening happening before so yeah it's, it's very rare and I should say so Alvin he only dropped out the points he so nearly did it didn't yeah, he it was, uh, it was like 50 or 52 he uh, he got passed by Hulkenberg and then yeah he fell behind Norris I think really good performance from Alvin wasn't the most impressive thing he did all weekend though JBL what was the most impressive thing Alvin did all weekend 
Uh, was it mocking my shirt? It was. It was. Um, last was, that, year, was that your referee shirt? Uh, it was, well, like Scott is wearing now, it was slightly deck chairish. It's not the worst thing he's done to me at Silverstone. Last year, uh, when I was Formula 2's press officer back in those days, uh, he blocked me in a car park. Uh, and oh. he wouldn't he wouldn't move his car. Uh, he was just staring there, laughing, uh, finding it far too funny. And uh, well, it needless made me... to say, you had the last laugh when you won the feature race and had a really successful weekend. Uh, yeah, he definitely had the last laugh. <laughs> um, no, you, you've you've not won on any level there, have you? No. Um, every t- every time I see him, he always manages to get the one up on me. Uh, I don't understand it. <laughs> I imagine you have that a lot with people. Uh, now we should say um, <laughs> that was brutal. Lance Stroll ended up thirteenth. Stroll, I spoke to Stroll after the race. He was a, a bit irritated at the second stop he made. Uh, he was running kind of behind Hulkenberg, well, behind Hulkenberg, and then he made that second stop, which he thought was unnecessary. He felt that his tyres would have would have lasted. So this was another one where Stroll, his qualifying wasn't too bad, really. The racing point wasn't great, but he did fall in Q1 again, but decent race drive. George Russell had his best F1 result in 14th place in the in the Williams, and, you know, another another sound performance from from him and uh yeah obviously ahead of uh Robert Kubica with Sebastian Vettel in 16th Sergio Perez was 17th the last of those classified he had that clatter with uh, the Renault after after the restart which was uh yeah just uh, unfortunately I think they I think he said he had a bit of a braking problem as well yeah he had a bit of an issue with his um his balance settings on his steering wheel steering wheel had a little bit of a a bug I guess uh he couldn't change the brake balance when he was going into the corner so uh yeah ended up getting a massive amount of uh of understeer just ended up in the back of Hulkenberg uh kind of ruined both their days Hulkenberg obviously we've mentioned he got a point but yeah Perez was down and out by that point yeah well, unfortunately he's only a decent race as, as he usually as he usually does now we haven't talked about Haas at all <laughs> what's so much to talk about yeah. what, what a weekend for Haas now I'm sure everyone's familiar with the rich energy saga that's ongoing if you'll not have a look on oldsport.com there's all sorts of stories there about goings on and, and comments um, so that that's one thing the the, the off track sideshow but I, I'm more interested in the the on track situation so we had the situation where Grosjean reverted to the Australia spec because they have all these problems with getting the car to work and the tyres to work and that kind of thing. So they want to do a back-to-back with with those two. Kevin Magnussen using the, the up-to-date package, the Barcelona upgrade. So he was running that. Grosjean with the uh, with the original one. Grosjean actually was, was going well. He looked like he had potential Q3 pace. And then in Q2, all the pace just vanished. He was like a second, 1.2 seconds slower over three attempts. And... There was an, there was some kind of error. I don't know exactly what it was, but with with the preparation of the tyres, not not totally out out, out of hands of the driver. Um, so he was uh, he was down on the down on the grid. Magnussen fell in Q one, and then we had the first lap of the race. Two drivers probably knowing they didn't have a great chance of points, and Haas needs data, needs back to back data. So what do you think was a good strategy, Scott? Um, I probably run wheel to wheel with my teammate through a corner that's quite difficult to run wheel to wheel through on cold tires fighting over nothing and cause enough contact to ruin my own race and my teammates race i think are you calling 14th place nothing yes <laughs> yes i am yeah this one to me i think it's uh it's a bit six of one, half a dozen another. They both had the potential to avoid this. It's extremely stupid that it happened. Gunter Steiner, the team principals, extremely unhappy about this. They drove into each other in uh, in Silverstone last year. They've had problems before. They thought they had it under control. And this is just... Well, Magnussen l- l- lunged Grosjean at the restart in Spain this year, yep. which triggered Grosjean's fall backwards, cost the team points. This is... Just, I mean... It, <laughs> it was already a very bad weekend for Haas, and this was just the final ignominy. Of course, the damage, both of them both of them went, got back to the pits, but both of them were uh, retired from the race early on with the resulting damage. And uh, you just sort of think, why? Why has this happened? <laughs> well, it's, it's Ocon Perez at Force India all over again, except with slightly less performance on track. Well, they, they occasionally, they had a couple of collisions, but they were generally picking up Lots of good, good results the rest of the time. Wasn't and normally there? put one of them putting the other person off usually at least ended in that person getting a result. Yeah. Uh, so this this was poor. You know, the 
they need they needed that data. They they I spoke to the drivers on Saturday, and they you know Grosjean was saying, yeah, we need the full race data, and Steiner said the same thing. We want the race data to understand what's going on with the tires and how we can get them to work. And so this whole experiment has been compromised by this needless collision when they needed to treat the race really like a bit of a test session. It's further complicated by the fact of in Germany there's an up, upgrade. So Magnussen will go on to the the new upgrade. Grosjean, we don't know whether he's going to stay with the, the old spec, which he says has got less downforce but he's more comfortable with. Maybe it'll have to now. They're already, I think, thinking about it. But we've ended up with this situation where they've not get, they're not going to get the Silverstone data and we're throwing the net. It's just... Uh, if you were going to start, you'd just be thinking. I mean, uh, uh, he, he gave, the, he had, I think, a fairly frank conversation with both of them after the race, and perhaps calling it a conversation was maybe generous in this case. But you know, there's, there comes a point where you've got to say, right, this this is not acceptable. The uh, the drivers did not speak in this conversation. That's what Steiner told us. Uh, but did they listen? That's the real well, question. Well, they clearly haven't listened before. And Gunter said, "No good will come of me sitting down and hearing their side of things now. Just no. They need to be told this is unacceptable. I'm furious." Yeah, which is fair. It's a shame because they're both capable of being very good drivers. Grosjean, I think at his best, is, ma- is can be a magnificent driver, but he can make he can make some very silly errors, like the we, spin, as we saw in FP1 when he spun into the into the wall coming out of the pit in the well not even coming out of the pit exit in the pit exit road it was silly I was just he called it awkward said that they'd had to laugh it off because that's what you need to do no no you need to you need to not spin in the pit lane that's what you need to do I wouldn't like, I wouldn't find it funny if I if I was a Haas mechanic or or someone if I was Gunter Steiner I wouldn't have found that funny at all it's one of those things that you know the thing these things do happen it is it is possible for someone to make a really... Everyone makes really silly mistakes once in a while. But you keep putting me and JBL on the podcast. Well, exactly. Yeah, I regret <laughs> that. But the, yeah, this it's just not... You know, they're, they're both experienced drivers in Formula 1. They're both capable of being very good. And they need to find a way to to not do this anyway. It's... Uh, yeah, if, if you're going to Steiner, you're just, you're just going to be tearing your hair out there and, and thinking, what, what have I got to do? Because that team has got a lot of things to deal with, a lot of problems. And the last thing it needed in that race was for those two to to come together. And I think actually you can say both both had a stake in it. They could both have avoided it. And yeah, just uh, sort it out. <laughs> the weekend was already bad by FP1 after that Grosjean crash in the pit lane. That was a bad weekend. And everything else after that was like, it wasn't the cherry on the cake, whatever the bad version of that is. It was like basically, it was like, from Wednesday onwards, it was five consecutive days of how can we make this go worse? Yeah, <laughs> it was like someone's playing a game, wasn't it? And just like, just in control of some like, in con- like playing a game of Sims or something, um, and just, but what the sort of person that was definitely definitely took an, a magnifying glass out to an ant hill when they were a kid and just thought, hmm, I'm just going to cause carnage here and I'm going to make a really bad decision. And now I'm going to make a really bad decision. I'm just going to oh, I'm going to really punish these people. But it turns out it's not a game of Sims. It's the Haas Formula 1 team. Yeah, unfortunate. And I think it's, yeah, the, Germany, they've got to they've gotta find out that reset and get and get things right. So there's going to be pressure on them, pressure on their money when we get to, to Germany. But the one team there's not going to be pressure on it, it's Mercedes who bounced back from their Austria defeat going into the home Grand Prix in Germany in uh, in two weeks' time. They're, they're back on form. Uh, a great victory there for, for Lewis Hamilton. Valtteri Bottas had some bad luck, but I think we discussed that. I'm, I'm not entirely sure he'd have been able to, to come through and win that one. Anyways, thanks very much to Jake Boxerleg and Scott Mitchell uh, for joining me. Do head to autosport.com for all uh, the fallout and feedback and news stories from the world of Formula One and our plus subscriber area for some in-depth features, interviews and, and, and opinion columns on the whole world of motorsport. Uh, do check out our sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine out monthly and Motorsport News out every Wednesday. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe free on iTunes or your podcast supplier of choice or like us on the, the Spreaker website. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast.
Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Wendy's knows cold and soggy fries are the worst. So soggy. That's why we're serving up hot and crispy fries all day, every day. And all night. Until close. With natural cut potatoes, sea salted to perfection. Show me that potato skin. Wendy's hot and crispy aren't like other fries. We're your dream fry. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's hot and crispy fries. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy. If yours aren't, bring them back and we'll replace them. Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.